good. Um, it's nice to see you all looking very dark under the lights. Um, if, if, if you've not met me before, my name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. and just really excited to kick off this uh, series, um, looking at loads of kind of um, taboo subjects maybe. If it's your first time tonight, you've, you've come for a wonderful night. We're going to be looking at sex together. And so um, welcome to, to King's Church Home. And um, we, we don't talk about this probably once a year, um, but um, yeah, I am really looking forward to it. Sex, marriage, singleness, relationships, purity, they're really important, aren't they? Yeah. Really important. Um, that's why we have to talk about them. Okay, they're, they're really essential. The things that we need to talk about regularly and, and just have a voice on and, and kind of know what is it that you know, the Bible says about these things, what is it that God says about these things, and so that's what we're going to do. And so tonight, um, you, you've come for a special night. Um, um, it's really important that we get our values and our belief systems um, from creation and not culture, okay? That right from the beginning, what, what God originally intended, what was his original plan, it's really important that that's where we kind of get what we believe, isn't it? Because, um, I, you know, I know it's hard. You know, our, our, our culture shouts at us daily, doesn't it? It shouts at us and it says, you know, you, know, you should be having sex, you should be having loads of it because that's what everyone's doing, right? And, and, and that's what our culture shouts at us. Our culture shouts this at us implicitly, explicitly, and it says, you know, if you're single or you're a virgin or, or you want to wait till you get married, there's something wrong with you, right? There's something seriously wrong with you. And, you know, marriage and, and faithfulness and covenant, that's just old-fashioned. I mean, who even does that anymore, right? Who's faithful, you know? Who does that? And, and, and so... Um, Our culture is constantly shouting at us, implicitly and explicitly. And um, as well as that, there's the whole, like, real-life situation, isn't there? You know, you might go to work, have work colleagues, you might go to university, have friends, and you have to kind of explain to them um, and give a reason for why you're not like the world, why you're not sleeping around, why you're single, why you're a little bit weird, you know, to use the word. You have to be ready to explain that. Um, I remember when I, I worked at um, a pub in Disbury for, for nine months. I was 24, so it's about four, three and a bit years ago. And um, I'd, I'd been married for four years at the time, so I was 24, got married when I was 20. And I remember when the, the people I worked with, people behind the bar, they found out that I was married... Yeah, and, and they knew I was 24, and they just freaked out. They didn't believe me. They didn't actually believe me. And then when I told them, you know, they were thinking, oh, we got married last week or something, but I told them that I got married when I was 20, and my wife was 19, they just didn't believe me. And there was this one guy, I always remember, he said, you know, you have to show me a picture. So I actually showed him a picture on my phone, Facebook, wedding day. He thought it was photoshopped. I'm not, honestly, I'm not joking. He wouldn't believe it. The shock on his face, he couldn't believe it. Because he'd been so shaped and moulded by what his culture was telling him about what marriage looks like and about how you're meant to live your life sexually. And so he just, it just made no sense. Face slammed on the floor, completely didn't believe me. Um, 
But it's a true story, okay? And that, that's the truth. And so tonight, I, I want to start this series by taking us all the way back to creation and um, looking at what's God's original intention for sex and, and hopefully change some of our perceptions, right? You know, um, some of us might think, I don't know your upbringing, some of us might think, well, sex is wrong. I've been told it's wrong. You know, I've been told it's, you know, sex is dirty, so make sure you save it for the one you love, right? <laughs> you know, and, and that kind of, like, mindset. And I want to just say that tonight, you know, we're going to be looking at how God says, actually, yeah, everyone's having sex, but I, I, I want to show you how you can have really good sex. And I want to show you how you can have sex that is biblically and, and, and how God actually sings over it. Yeah? God sings over it. Um, so tonight we're going to look at God's plan for sex, and uh, when I say this, automatically I mean in the context of marriage, right? Okay, I'm just going to put that out there. So when I say sex, I say marriage, there, yeah? And between man and woman, that's what I'm saying, okay? Um, so don't ask me questions later about that. I'm going to ask loads of questions now. So we're going to look at... Um, Sex, and um, we're going to look about uh, what's this look like in, in, in marriage. But so, so please remember, this is just week one. It's not the whole picture. Sex and marriage isn't God's whole plan for humankind. It's it's, it's not the whole picture. Um, Jesus never had sex, and he was pretty satisfied. Right? Singleness is really important, and we're going to be looking at that at, at, at week four. Really important. And so um, while we're going to talk about how great um, sex and marriage is, uh, I want to be really clear, um, they won't fix all of your problems. And they won't give you ultimate joy, okay? That's Jesus' job. That's Jesus' job. It took me a long time to realize this, but that's Jesus' job, right? There's no such thing as the one, okay? You might, in films and stuff, right? I'm waiting for the one to come and make me whole and happy, um, I, I don't see that, right? I, I don't see that. Um, marriage is two broken people coming together, trusting that Jesus would make them more like him. That's what marriage is. Um, and so if you think that, hey, if I get married, then it will fix my depression and loneliness. Actually, you might find um, that it might make it worse, and it might start to manifest in different areas of our lives. And... Um, if you're not happy when you're single, marriage won't fix that. Trust me, it won't. Because one broken person plus one broken person doesn't equal ultimate joy. It's, it's worse, right? It's very messy. Um, don't promise that you will always make your spouse happy. Um, because we can't do that. It, it's not my job to make Charlotte happy, right? I'm not Jesus. Don't, like, don't get me wrong. I want to be like Jesus... And I want to make Charlotte happy, and I really do. And we just went to Norway, we had a great time, and I can t- honestly, we had happy times. But I still sin, and I'm still selfish, and I, I, sometimes my heart's wrong, and, and, and so there will be times when I don't make Charlotte happy, and vice versa, and it's hard to believe. <laughs> right? there, there, there will be times. So I, I can't keep that promise. So don't make that promise. Um, and that's why divorce rates are so high. Because people are relying on their spouse to make them happy, aren't they? 
And what happens when they fail to deliver and they can't make their spouse happy or the vice versa, they just say, hey, marriage doesn't work. Or maybe this person wasn't the one for me. Maybe I need to find someone who can make me happy. Um, So listen really carefully. Happiness and joy, yeah, happiness and joy is the result of a Christ-filled marriage. It's not the reason for marriage. Right, happiness and joy. You get that Christ-filled marriage, but it's not the reason for marriage. Um, and so tonight, we're going to look at um, part of the picture. And I just wanted to say that, because obviously, we're going to spend a lot of time saying how great sex is and marriage and everything. Yeah, of course. But I just want to make those two points. Um, so in case you didn't predict it, if you'd like to go to Genesis 1. I'm going to read from um, verse 26. You might know Genesis 1, very popular chapter, all about creation, right? God's making lots of things. He's speaking lots of things into the being. Let there be this, let there be that, right? But when um, God comes to making you and me, he doesn't say, let there be human. He doesn't say that, right? God uses this word, create, uses it three times. God creates humankind. God creates us. He fashions us. He, we are God's creative masterpiece. He got really involved when it came to us and he spent a lot of time thinking about how I'm going to make something that can represent who I am to the world. Um, so we weren't just spoken into being, we were created into being. Verse 26. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. We know what that means, right? Right? Have sex. That's what God's saying here. Why is God saying that? Because it's his idea. Sex is God's idea. It's not our idea, right? It's, It's a product of creation, not culture, and um, we have invented loads of stuff, haven't we, as, as humanity, right? The iPhone. I don't know how we did it, but we created the iPhone, right? Amazing. Aircon. You can feel it right now around you. We created. That's ours, okay? The Eiffel Tower, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? And St. Paul's Cathedral. Loads of awesome, epic things. We made that. We created that. We can take responsibility for that stuff, but do you know what wasn't our idea? Sex, right? This is a product of creation, not culture. That's God's idea. We have nothing to do with it. Okay, we didn't create it. God created it. We invented loads of stuff, but uh, sex, well, that was God's idea. Um, You know, um, when Apple or Google, they um, release a new product or any big company, what do they do? They have a big keynote conference, don't they? And they invite, five, uh, they invite thousands of people to come and, and look at this new product. 
and, and, and they explain um, how you can get the most out of this product. They explain you know, how not to abuse it, but how to use it, how to get the most out of it, how to enjoy it, and, and how it was originally intended to, to, to be enjoyed. Um, so if we want to find out how we can get the most out of sex, if we want to find out how we can use it and not abuse it and destroy it, but really get the most out of it, then we need to go to the person who created it, don't we? We need to go to God, and we need to go to the scriptures, uh, and we need to really learn together. Um, because, you know, when God said, be fruitful and multiply, notice that he didn't give a, a bunch of rules um, about what we shouldn't do. He didn't do that. The first thing God tells people to do in the Bible, the first command is to have sex and enjoy it. It's a positive command. It's not a negative command. Um, Sex is God's idea, but it's his very good idea as well. Um, Up until this point in Genesis 1, everything God has made is described of as good. Um, When we use the word good, it's often not that great, is it? Right? It's good, but it's not great. Like, no one describes their wife as good. You just don't do it, right? We don't use that word in that way. Um, But when the Bible uses the word good, whenever you see that word, good, it's often talking about something epic, awesome, heavenly, out of this world, OMG, right? Epic, awesome, amazing. Think about something like that. That's the word good. So, um, you know, examples in the Old Testament. Genesis 1, God creates loads of animals, right? Think about all the animals in the world. Have you ever seen planet Earth? Just like in awe of how awesome these animals are. God creates everything, and then it says it was good, right? Epic, awesome, fall on your face, fantastic, amazing, good. Um, Other examples in the Old Testament, God promises Israel, I'm going to send you into an amazing inheritance, an amazing land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be awesome, right? It's going to be amazing. God calls it a very good land, a good land, just a good land, epic, awesome, amazing, good. Isaiah, um, he prophesies about a future king who will come and give salvation to all people, forgiveness of sins, Jesus, right? Um, This is this king who's coming and he's going to bring good news. Amazing, awesome, epic, fantastic, fall on your face, flat, OMG, good news. God creates a lot of things in Genesis 1 and he he calls it good. But after he creates you and me, um, after he creates sex, verse 31, God says it wasn't just good, it was very good. It was very good. Very good. Um, Some of us might not think sex is very good. As as I said at the start, some of us might think it's very bad. Um, Or at the very least, God kind of like disapproves of it. Um, Actually, no, he commands it, doesn't he? He says, do it. Why? Because he created it. It's his idea. And when he sees it happening in a healthy marriage between a man and a woman, do you know what God says? He says, this right here is very good good. It's very good. Um, It's not just very good, um, we're meant to enjoy it as well. Yes, that's true. Um, If sex um, was God's idea, then then so was pleasure. Um, uh, Sex is is more than procreation. Obviously, one of the reasons for sex is procreation. Can't get around that, of course, 
but we don't want to go into detail, but there are actually body parts that exist primarily for pleasure and not procreation. They just have nothing to do with procreation. Yeah, sex, God created sex and he created pleasure. If you want to turn to the Song of Songs... Um, Song of Songs, right? Holy of Holies, Lord of Lords. It's the best song ever, okay? Song of Songs is epic, awesome. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Eight chapters of love poetry, basically, between a man and a woman. Um, Song of Songs is racy. You read it? It's racy, isn't it? In fact, um, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you weren't allowed to read it until you were 30 years of age, okay? Serious stuff. Um, and we read in this book about a passionate love between a man and, and a woman just chasing and pursuing one another. And I mean, chapter one just kicks off straight away. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. Come and chase me. Come and find me. We, we, we read of this woman. She wakes up in the morning. She's just kind of like in anguish. Where is my love? Right? And she's running around trying to find him. Um, she's, where are you, my love? I, I want to see you again. This is passionate love. This is passionate pursuing. This is romance. And then um, we get to chapter four. They've just got married. Okay, just had the wedding night. He describes her beauty. He, he, de- he describes her hair. He describes her eyes, her teeth. He's, he's, he's making his way down. He describes her mouth and even her breasts. Yes, this is in the Bible, right? Let's read uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Chapter 4, verse 11. Your lips drip sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Verse 16. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Feeling comfortable. Right. It's obvious what they're talking about, isn't it? Right? He hasn't just had a wine, he's had a milk, he's not just had a honey, he's had the honeycomb, he's had it all, he's tasted it all. Um, it's describing the deep satisfaction and intimacy which God intends for sex. Um, and we say, this is in the Bible. Yeah, it's in the Bible. What does that say about God? Um, he's not anti-sex. No, he's not anti-pleasure. Um, he actually, he's just anti-anything that goes against his original creational intent. Anything which abuses this gift and hurts this gift. Um, you, some people, you might even ask this in the questions, um, but some people often say, well, what's the difference between lust and love? Um, you get that when we look at this book. Um, it's a really important question. In my opinion, um, if the Song of Songs was just one voice, right? Not two voices, just like a man describing a woman, and, you know, selfishly describing her, satisfying himself by describing her just him, selfishly, that's lust, right? But love is the Song of Songs. It's two people giving of themselves and appreciating one another in consensual, loving covenant. That's love. Um, But it's more than that. Lust has no romance. 
Love has all the romance. Um, Love's passionate. Chapter 8 says that waters cannot quench love. Floods can't drown it. Love is as strong as death. Right? That's the difference. If you edit out either the man or the woman from this book, you just get a really creepy person. Okay? Um, And so um, we see in this song, don't we? Genesis 2, that picture. They were naked and unashamed. They, They were unashamed. Um, and then, when they think they're alone, um, a voice out of nowhere interrupts, if you're still there. It says, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Drink your fill of love. That's Holy Scripture, right? This is God celebrating, singing over this married couple and saying, enjoy it. Drink your fill of love. Um, sex and pleasure was God's idea. It's part of his creation. God intends us to enjoy it. And like so much of his creation, 1 Timothy 6.17 says that God richly provides us with everything. Why? For our enjoyment. So we can enjoy it. We can enjoy it, not endure it. And sex is God's idea, so is pleasure. Um, and we started to touch on it already, really. Sex is more than this physical thing. It's, it's actually really, really spiritual. Um, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians, and that's the, the final book we'll be looking at together tonight. Uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, if you didn't know, um, Corinth was one of the most sensual cities in the ancient world. It was like Las Vegas, right? What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Okay, it was um, actually the word Corinthian um, was, a, was a slang word people used for a prostitute, a Corinthian. I mean, imagine that, you know, don't go near her, she's a Mancunian, right? That's, that, that, that's, that's the word that's, that's used. And, and, you know, if you said to someone, do you want to have Corinthian, it meant you want to have sex. That's, that's what it meant. So um, the, the church in Corinth um, started off quite well. Um, but it wasn't long till they got a little bit of a mess and um, started to be influenced by the culture around them and um, the philosophies and, and the people in the congregation started sleeping with prostitutes. This was the prostitute place and, and, and they started sleeping with prostitutes. And, and one of the false ideas, I mean, I've never had to preach don't sleep with prostitutes, so We're, it's great, isn't it? I've never had to do that. One of the false ideas which affected the church in Corinth um, was that our bodies, okay, um, the physical things are wrong, evil, bad. Okay, that, 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 that was one of the, the thought patterns. And, and, and they'll just perish. And Paul says, this is a load of rubbish, right? Your, your body's holy. Your body's spiritual. Actually, we're going to have our bodies resurrected one day. That's what Paul's saying. That's how, what he's going. And so 1 Corinthians 6, from verse 12, this is what many of the the things people were saying, and and Paul quotes them. Verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach, and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Right? This is the lie that sex is no big deal. Sex is just the physical act. Right? Food for the stomach, stomach for food. The body's not 
spiritual. The body's just something bad, yeah? It doesn't matter what you do to it because it's just eventually it'll be destroyed. It doesn't matter how you treat it. And it's, it's actually the same, similar in our culture. I mean, we downplay the importance of sex, but we make out it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, we, we actually call it casual sex. Is it, even, is it even possible to have sex casually? You know, we just casually had sex. It's weird, isn't it, right? It's, it's, it's not a big deal. It just casually happened. And there's no such thing as casual sex because um, sex includes all of you. It includes every part of you. Um, sex includes every part of you. Let's keep reading. Um, Paul says in verse 13, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. That word, sexual immorality, just a term, includes everything that's sort of sexual act, lustful thought, um, you know, dodgy Netflix, sexual morality, sleeping around, sexual morality, uh, inappropriate inboxing, sexual immorality, you know, everything. So there's just this one word, like a junk drawer, you just put everything in, sexual morality. But the body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. The body's spiritual. Really important. This is how important it is. Ready? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That's huge, isn't it? Your body, my body, is connected to Christ himself right now. What's Paul say? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is united with him in spirit. Sex is more than sex. Sex is more than sex. If two people um, have sex, they become one. Paul quotes that Genesis 2 passage. Um, One flesh, that term just means people are being fused together at the deepest levels. When we have sex, we're actually giving somebody a part of ourselves. It's real stuff. And we laugh, don't we, in the Bible when it says, um, and they knew each other, right? She knew him. We kind of laugh, what a stupid thing to say, you know. We know what you're talking about. Um, I was thinking about that recently, but it actually teaches us quite a lot about sex. Um, that when a married couple make love, they actually do know each other intimately uh, in probably the closest way possible. Um, kind of changes how you read they, they knew each other. They, they, they knew each other intimately. Um, something really powerful happens. Um, two humans become one. Um, they know each other intimately. Uh, and the Bible says, and, and we would say as a church, that that's why we need marriage, right? We've got this um, powerful gift of sex, very epic force, so we need to protect it. Right? We need to put it in marriage because in the wrong hands it can hurt and it can abuse people. Um, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. How can Paul explain the significance um, of how we treat our bodies? Well, he picks the most holiest thing in his context, right? Something that must always remain pure for God's presence to remain. He picks the temple. 
He says, our bodies are like the temple of God. Um, Sex is more than sex. Sex is spiritual. Um, We make love to a person, a soul, to a whole being. And that's why when people are abused sexually um, from whatever age, they suffer dramatic effects later on in life. Because if sex was no big deal, it's just physical, um, victims would just shake it off. You know, it's just a scratch. It doesn't matter. Um, But that's never the case. It's always painful and traumatizing for the victim. Um, And so so try telling these victims, oh, sex is just physical, just casual, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Um, God's uh, big enough to heal us. Um, whether, you know, whether we've had nights we, we regret or, or you know, whether we're victims, okay? You know, God can and he does heal us and he can put us back together again. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but tonight, I want to encourage you, let's not treat sex as like a fast food, unhealthy, junk option, right? Let's um, treat it as a gift, one which we need a covenant of marriage to protect it and help it flourish. Um, let's treat sex as a product of creation, not a product of culture. Um, because sex is God's idea. It's not our idea. Um, the enjoyment is God's idea. And, and so good sex, great sex happens when we choose how it was originally intended to be. Um, and so we're going to try and keep these uh, messages short so we can have some time at the end for for Q&A, but I want to encourage you now with time uh, on your hands, maybe a minute or so, if you'd like to go to that website and type in the password, feel free to ask whatever question. It is anonymous. You can actually put your name if you really want to. It gives you that option. Um, But we're going to just have a minute or so break, and then um, we're going to jump into some time of of Q&A. Each week we'll have a panel with different people on. We're a little bit short-numbered tonight. Um, but uh, yeah, let's do that. So bless you guys.